scripture this morning, as we begin our series we've entitled Fresh Eyes, as you can see, is Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1, we're going to read verses 26 to 38, and we're going to do that responsibly, and responsibly, I guess, but responsibly. I'm going to read the first slide, and maybe you can join me in reading the second, and then the third, and the fourth. So Luke chapter 1, verse 26 to 38, reading from the New International Version, uh, this morning, and I will begin with verse 26. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Let's read together. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. Together. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. I think all of us here this morning probably have, as I go by the Facebook post, we probably all have favorite Christmas movies. Anybody got a favorite Christmas movie? Christmas time, you you rent it, you you watch it over again. I I looked at a recent poll of the 25 top Christmas movies of all time. And there were three that were at the top of the list. Can you guess what they are? What do you think number one was? What's the all-time favorite Christmas movie ever? Right. It's a wonderful life. Okay? How about number two? What do you think number two was? It was actually Elf. It's a classic. In fact, uh, where's Liz? You got an Elf party coming up, don't you? Okay, I'm looking at that date. I want to come. I just have to confirm. But that's number two for those who are real spiritual. And what do you think number three was? The Grinch. That was kind of good. Um, actually, number three was Miracle on 34th Street. <laughs> yeah. We got some real carnal people here. Not mine. No, no. That's, I can't believe mine's not up there. This is rigged. Well, let me ask you this. Of these top three movies, how many would say that uh, A Wonderful Life is your favorite of the three? Okay, three hands. That's great. Got a few. Okay. How about Alf? Watch this now. There you go. Yeah, they're few, but they're loud. And how about 34th Street? Okay, more than I would have thought. That's a classic as well. Well, that's interesting. Well, another popular movie back in 1990 was called Home Alone. Anybody remember that one? It's a story about Kevin McAllister. He's kind of like a bratty little eight-year-old boy who actually kind of got in a bit of trouble the night before his family was scheduled to leave for a vacation to Paris. 
Now, what happened the next morning was with all the hustle and bustle and getting ready for the airport and everybody trying to get ready, the entire family left him home all alone, and obviously hence the name. Now, probably the greatest challenge in making the movie for those of us who have seen it is trying to convince the audience that it was at all possible for parents to actually leave a child behind and to fly to Europe. Now, I know what's possible is parents who would like to leave their child behind. As I told you, no exaggeration, my parents moved 27 times while I grew up. 27 times from the time that I was born, and I found them every time, but 27 times. So um, we know what it's like as parents, but they obviously did a pretty good job of convincing the audience because it was actually Home Alone is rated number six on the top Christmas movies of all time. How many have seen it once? How many have seen it twice? Three times or more? A lot of hands. That's really interesting. Well, you know what's interesting is that when you um, watch a movie a second time, third time, fourth time, you kind of tend to watch it different than you did the first time, don't you? You watch it differently because since you already know what's going on, we kind of tend to look forward to the favorite parts we have in the movie. And so sometimes we might even fast forward or we're sitting with somebody else, or we get to watch this, we fast forward, or even in our own minds, we're kind of just going through parts of the movie uh, because we're waiting to get to our favorite parts. And if you watched Home Alone, of course, the real fun begins when the robbers or would-be robbers get into the house. That's, that's really the key part. That's where all the fun begins. But when you fast forward through certain parts of the movie that you know are coming, we have a tendency to miss some of the nuances, uh, some of the things that maybe the writers intended for you to catch that maybe were even, even better parts than you thought. And, you know, as we begin our Christmas season officially, like with this series, we can kind of tend to do the same thing I find with the Christmas story. Most of us have heard the Christmas story. How many have heard it once? Twice? We could do this all morning. How many have heard like a hundred times, right? If you were raised in the church, you know the Christmas story. And the tendency is because we are so familiar with the, with the story, with all the characters, is that we don't see it with, as we say, fresh eyes. We don't really see it sometimes with the, with the wonder we don't really see all the wonderful nuances that the writer intended us to catch. I like what Paul says in Romans 15. He talks about these kind of things like these stories. It says, they were written long ago to teach us and to give us hope and encouragement as we wait patiently for God's promises to be fulfilled. I love that scripture. That all these stories that we read in the scripture, and looking at the Christmas story this morning, he says the Holy Spirit wants to teach us some things. And, and as he teaches us, he wants to give us hope and he wants to give us encouragement as we also wait patiently for the things that we believe that God has for us, the things he calls us to, the things he talks to us about in his word, seeing those things fulfilled in our lives. But again, we become very familiar with the Christmas story and the more familiar we become, the more we tend to miss a lot of the nuggets, a lot of the nuances that God very deliberately places in the story because there's something we can learn from every single one of them. And if we do, then he gives us hope and encouragement as we wait for those promises to be fulfilled in our lives. And again, that's why we've entitled this series, Fresh Eyes, Seeing Christmas in a New Light. And we're going to look at some specific characters in the Christmas stories, and we're going to point out some of the subtleties and the details that maybe some of us aren't familiar with. 
But I want to remind us that as we do that, what we're going to discover, I hope in a fresh new way, is just incredibly how much God loves us. How much he really does know about us. What he really has for us and what he wants us to discover in our walk with him. Now, one of the things we see, for example, when we look at the Christmas story, one of the nuggets, one of the nuances is a number of the twists and turns that are in the Christmas story that we would never have thought about. If we were writing the story, we would never have made this stuff up. This would not have entered our mind. For example, imagine you were writing the Christmas story, the God, God coming in the form of man, Emmanuel, God with us, coming as a savior of the world. Can you imagine writing this story? For example, why doesn't Jesus, the Son of God, get a room in the inn? Have you ever thought of that? I mean, he's the Son of God. God planned this thing out. And he doesn't even get a room in the inn. He allows Mary and Joseph to travel all this distance, go through all the things, only to get there, and nothing is ready for them. Another question I would have is, why such humble beginnings? Wouldn't it be better if Jesus was actually born into a family or a situation where he had connections? Remember Moses? I mean, Moses is born in poverty. He's born to Hebrew slaves. But in a short while, he finds himself adopted into Pharaoh's palace. And he's raised as one of Pharaoh's own sons. Well, that's just Moses. Why is it that when Jesus came to the world, why didn't God set it up so that Jesus was actually born into a palace. And he could have been because as a descendant of David, in case of those of you who may not be familiar with biblical history, Joseph, Jesus' father, was actually in the royal lineage. So if Israel had been a sovereign nation at the time, Joseph would have been the king of Israel. Jesus would have been the king of Israel. He was biologically the natural king of Israel, not only the king of kings, he was the king of Israel if Israel was a nation. And so imagine, why didn't God just kind of wait or change circumstances around a bit so that when Israel was a sovereign nation, then Jesus would come into the world? Because if Jesus came born into a palace, can you imagine the platform he would have had to preach his message? He's the king. Imagine the impact he could have had in his realm at that time. He would have had everybody's attention. Another question is, why did the angels appear to shepherds? some of the lowest people on the social you know, uh, strata. Why in the world did he appear to shepherds? you ever think about that? Why didn't the angels, why didn't God have the angels go and appear to the kings in the palaces? Why didn't he have the angels appear to the governors? Why did he not at least have the angels appear to the religious leaders of that day? I mean, doesn't that make sense? Is it just me or doesn't that make sense? I mean, that's how I would have written the story. I would have got everything ready for Jesus before he came. I would have made sure every, if I, if I was going to use angels, going to use messengers, I would have made sure that the road was smooth. Okay, before you go, Jesus, I'm going to make sure you get a nice warm welcome. All those in power, all those who are the power brokers, who are the policy makers, they're going to know who you are. It doesn't matter if shepherds know. It doesn't matter if the poor. It doesn't matter if kind of inconsequential people who really have no impact or effect doesn't really know. It'll kind of trickle down. They'll find out. Do you follow me this morning? That's what I would have done because that's what makes sense, right? I'm going to lay it all out, get everyone ready who has power. They're going to know who Jesus is, so when he comes, it's just kind of automatic. Well, here he is. That's what I would have done. And then you have all of these unexpected developments that you 
think in a storyline that's supposed to be pretty straightforward would have happened if God was really in control. I mean, you have this shameful pregnancy. A young girl out of wedlock gets pregnant with a child. Then you have her would-be husband decides he's going to put her away. He's going to divorce her, and he's going to kind of just, you know, leave her on her own because he's not the father of the child. Then again, you have Mary and Joseph later on fleeing for their lives to Egypt, a journey of some 300 miles across the Sinai Desert. And then when they get there, of course, Jesus has to be born into a smelly manger because there's no room in the inn. Like, we don't think about this because it's, it's like a wonderful story. But if I'm writing this story, it doesn't happen this way. In fact, you know, I can almost imagine, you let your mind go a little bit, I can almost imagine in heaven, like if there's a cartoon of this, you know, there's no room, Jesus is born in a manger. I can imagine an angel in heaven getting reprimanded because he dropped the ball and didn't make reservations. Like, something went wrong. You know, if God was in this, it wouldn't work out this way. It wouldn't be this tough. And so one of the things we begin to see when we look at Christmas kind of in a fresh way, is there's no way we would ever have written this. Do you agree? I mean, would this have crossed your mind, the Christmas story, the way we've read it? If you were given the responsibility to write this whole thing about how God comes into this world to save the world, would a lot of these things have crossed your mind? I think our story would have involved celebrities and power. There definitely would have been a happily ever after ending there definitely probably would not have been a cross everything would have worked out well it wouldn't have been as tough as it was but whatever we would have written i can guarantee we wouldn't have done it the way that god did it the way that he wrote it and one of the reasons i know that is because that's how we try to write our own story that's how if we're given the power if we're given the ability that's how we try to make our lives work out if God gave you a pen and said, okay, you go ahead and write your story and I'll rubber stamp it, how do you think your life would be today? You're saying, I wouldn't be sitting here. I'd be living in Palm Springs or I'd be, you know, whatever the case may be. Because we have all these ideas of what we think our life should be, what we want our life to be. And it's wonderful to have ambition and it's wonderful to have dreams. But if we were allowed to write our own stories, I can promise you this that life would generally be smooth sailing, wouldn't it? There'd be lots of good things that happen. There wouldn't be a whole lot of surprises. Everything would basically work out just the way we hope, just the way we plan. That's how we would do it if we were in charge. We wouldn't write the Christmas story the way that God wrote it because if we're honest, a lot of times we don't really agree with the way that God's writing the story of our life. Anybody brave enough to raise your hand? You know, we say, oh, Lord, you know, you're faithful, you're good or whatever, but if I can just give you a couple suggestions. You know, if, I, if you can just insert this plot in, in, the, you know, in the story of my life, I, I would really be, really be grateful. Because if we're honest, there's a lot of times that we're wondering, God, what in the world are you doing? Or why are you not doing? You know, we kind of look up into heaven, we say, hey, life isn't supposed to happen this way. This isn't supposed to happen to me. And in real life, the reality is we all have times where we say, this is not what I planned. This is not what I had mapped out. I'm sure we can all remember times in our lives when things didn't go exactly according to what we thought was going to happen. Maybe some of you are here this morning and 
and relationships didn't work out the way that you thought. When you stood at the altar that day and looked lovely in that person's eyes, you, you didn't know how your story was going to unfold with them. Some of us today are probably in a different financial place than we had projected 20 years ago, 30 years ago. We didn't think that we were going to be at this place. Some of us maybe who were later in years, in our retirement years, and we always thought we had a, a certain plan for our retirement, but that hasn't packed, panned out. Maybe you didn't factor in the, the sickness you're struggling with, or maybe you didn't factor in some of the twists and turns through your life or through the lives of those whom you love and have affected you, and so life is different today than what you thought. I think those are the times when our lives get pretty confusing, confusing rather. But I think one of the reasons that God wrote the Christmas story the way he did is because he knew that with all the twists and turns, that that really resembles your life and mine. That's what real life is. Again, I think many of us could have written the story, if we had written the story, it would have been much different than what God did. But what I appreciate about God is the stories we read in the Scripture are about real people, but he even orchestrates things in such a real way so that every single one of us here this morning can identify with the story at some place or another. I so appreciate the way that Jesus came into the world. I, I appreciate that there's not a single situation. He knew poverty. He knew rejection. He knew all those things that some of us know, some of us don't know, some of us maybe will know some other day. But there's not anything you can go through. There's not an emotion you can experience that you can't look at Jesus and say, he doesn't understand. He doesn't just understand because he's God and all-knowing. He understands because he voluntarily put himself into every situation you can find yourself so that you know that he knows exactly how you feel, that you can relate to him. He can relate to you. He really is a wonderful Savior. It's an amazing, an amazing story. He knew that your life and mine would be very similar to some of the characters you read of in the Scripture, and he knew that I would need hope and I would need encouragement as I patiently wait for God's promises to me to be fulfilled. I truly believe that's one of the main reasons why God wrote the Christmas story the way he did. God knows that we live in a broken world. He knows we live in a dysfunctional world. He knows that in some of our stories, there were some characters inserted that we didn't have a lot of control over. You know, maybe we had some crazy parents dysfunctional parents. Maybe you've got, you know, some crazy wild spouse or ex-spouse or, or, or kids that went this way instead of this way. You know, we weren't counting on that stuff. But God knew what was going to come our way. And I believe the Christmas story is a reminder that not only can God be trusted to write our story, but that God always writes a better story than we could ever imagine, than we could ever think of. It's always better. Now, getting back to Mary, we see someone who really knows what it looks like to experience those twists and turns in real life. Mary knows what it is. Just try to think about her for a moment as a real person, as a real person whose heart was devoted to God, and yet at a very young age, she experienced what it was to be blindsided and to face this incredible fear and confusion for a time. And yet what's really inspiring is when you read her response, what she speaks are words that I really hope this morning we can take to heart, especially in times when we are confused or times of uncertainty, because the words that she speaks remind us that God really is here. He's not just a lofty idea, but God is here. God is working. 
And what we see in Mary's response as we look through her life, she shows us that God can be trusted. And I want that to sink in this morning because, again, these are not just Christmas stories, just nice stories, like isn't that wonderful? But, but these are real-life stories that have been written for our sake and to teach us that God can be trusted, to give us hope and to give us encouragement because we face those same kind of times. We face those twists and turns. We face ourselves sometimes carrying things or walking through things or experiencing things that we didn't count on. We never would have written into our own story, but they're there and they're real. They're not fantasy. We can't just wish them away. That's where we are. And we need to know whether or not, not just God is real. I know God is real. I have no problem with that. But sometimes I wrestle with, God, are you here? Are you really here? Do you really have my address? Do, do, can I really trust you? Are you working in this? And in the story we read here about Mary in verse 29, we see that Mary was greatly troubled by the angel's words, the scripture says. Now think about that for a moment. I never even thought of it until I was meditating on this. An angel appears to Mary. How many wouldn't mind an angel appearing to you and saying, hey, highly favored of God? I mean, wouldn't that kind of make your day? You know, you're kind of anxious to get to work. People are standing around the cooler talking about the weekend. Let them all talk. And when they're done, I got to tell you something. I got to tell you something. You're not going to believe this. An angel appeared to me and said, Paul, greetings, highly favored of God. I mean, that would just kind of make your day. But the scripture says that when Mary heard that greeting, she was troubled. She was troubled. How in the world could somebody be troubled by an angel of the Lord appearing and calling you highly favored of God? And you know, as I begin to look up that phrase in the scriptures, predominantly in the Old Testament, but I begin to realize, I think I kind of understand why she was troubled. Because everybody who heard those words in the scriptures before her, their worlds were turned upside down. The first one I came across was Noah. It says he was favored of the Lord. The world was destroyed. He spent like 50 to 75 years, they're not sure, it was a long time, building an ark. Lost everybody except his family. His world was upside down. And there was another time that an angel of the Lord said to Joseph, or through dreams, and the scripture says that Joseph, the son of Jacob, was highly favored of the Lord. You know what happened to him? He got thrown into a pit. Hey, highly favored, in the pit, sold into slavery. Isn't that wonderful? Two for two. And then there's this dear lady, beautiful young lady. Her name was Esther. She was favored of the Lord. She became the queen and almost lost her head. So I really think that when Mary heard these words, greetings, highly favored, her first thought was, oh, no. Gulp. Because she understood, going from her knowledge of the word, that even though wonderful things happened in all of these three situations, God did miraculous things. It came at great personal cost. All these people's lives were disrupted, turned upside down. God did wonderful things in the end, but don't you think for a moment, my friends, that it was easy? They paid a price for being the favorite of God, as glorious as it was. There was great personal price. And there were three notorious miracle birth announcements in the Bible. 
One was Abraham and Sarah. One was Zachariah and Elizabeth, Mary's cousin. And the third, of course, was Mary. What's interesting, the first two, as we know, they were met with skepticism. You know, in Sarah's case, when the visitors said, by this time next year you have a child, she just kind of giggled, you know. And then they said, you laughed. No, I didn't. No, I didn't. You know? And then in Zachariah's case, of course, he doubted, and he was struck silent. Can you imagine that, wives? For nine months you're pregnant, your husband can't say a word. I mean, just talk about the grace of God. It was just quiet. For, anyway, I can't go, go far with that. But, you know, she just had this quiet, you know, for nine months. And then, of course, we see Mary's response that is quite different. Now, Mary begins in verse 34, if you have your Bibles. She asks a very reasonable question. She says, how will this be since I am a virgin? Now, biologically, she doesn't know how it's going to happen. But part of the question, too, is that you do realize, angel, you know, and, and by the way, I don't know, the scripture doesn't say if the angel appeared in, you know, angelic clothes and wings. and We don't know that. Just a messenger of the Lord to her. So it could have been just somebody dressed in normal clothes knocking on the door saying, I got a word for you from the Lord. Just that practical. But whatever it was, she knew that when those words came to her, not only biologically was this not, does not make any sense, but she understood that in the culture of her day, for her to be pregnant out of wedlock meant that according to the law, she could be killed on the spot. She could be stoned to death. In fact, I really believe that's one of the main reasons why she went to visit her cousin Elizabeth. She kind of had to get out of town. Now, you can get away for a while because in those days, women dressed very modest, and you had, as you see in the culture today, or at least in, in, uh, in some of the Muslim countries even, you have the, the long dresses. But if you can get away for a number of months, by six months, you might be kind of getting harder to hide the bump. And so they send her off to see Kaziliz. And so there she goes for the last little while to kind of stay out of trouble because, of course, the rumors and so on that go around. And again, the cost could be her own life. So it's not particularly good news for her. You know, one of my first lessons in trusting God happened when I was 17 years old. I knew from the time of 10 that the Lord had put a desire in my heart for, for pastoral ministry. And so when the time came at the age of 17 when I graduated, it was time to apply. I applied in lots of times. But back in my day when you're getting ready for Bible college, it was not a huge campus. We only had room for about 400 students in our class. And it was our main Bible college. That's kind of where most of us would go and the Canadian dollar and so on. That was the, the place that you logically went in Peterborough. And so I applied but the enrollment was full, so I, I couldn't get in. So I got a letter back saying, hey, we'd love to have you. We're full, but you can apply next year if you want to. We'll keep your, your letter on the file. And so this was uh, in spring. So I figured I'll finish school. I was working part-time after work at the hospital. I thought I'd get some full-time work in the summer, but I'll have to work for the rest of the year. So it wasn't a big deal, so I kind of enjoyed the summer, saved a little bit of money. Well, wouldn't you know it, by the end of August, I get this letter saying that you are accepted. Somebody dropped out, and if you can come... In two weeks, you can come. Look at verse 35 to 37. The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. In other words, nothing will be impossible with God. So here I was, 
in August, before I got the letter, thinking, I'll have to work for the year. I don't really feel like it. I don't mind work, but my heart's not in it. I want to get on with my life. I feel a little bit discouraged, feel a little bit confused, like, Lord, I know that you've called me to do this, but why isn't this door opening? Why do I have all this, uh, you know, another whole year it seems to waste, and I, I just really want to get on with my life and doing these things. Well, it was about a week later, and really nobody really knew. My family knew, and maybe a couple of extended family, my in-laws, uh, my brother's in-laws, whatever. It was about it. But about a week before it was time to go, I get this check in the mail for $1,500. And in my day, $1,500 covered an entire year of tuition and board. Imagine that. Sheldon's back there smiling. <laughs> and good luck with that. 15, now keep in mind, you could buy a little brand new car, a little Chevette for like $3,500. So it kind of puts it in perspective. You probably still can buy a Chevette for $3,500 brand new. But you know, you get, it's all perspective. So anyways, um, so I was accepted, but I didn't know how in the world I was going to go. I still thought I had to wait for another year. But again, like I said, about a week later, I get this check for $1,500 in the mail, and it covers the whole first year. Well, I still had airfare, because only a week away. didn't have money for airfare. Uh, airfare from Halifax to Peterborough to Toronto was a whopping $127. Now, again, that's 40 years ago, okay? $127, which I didn't have. Well, the pastor had caught wind that I was planning to go to college if I can get there. And so, as kind of was the custom back in those days, he just took some time in his Sunday night service and just passed the plate around and said, if you'd like to give, you know, we understand Paul wants to go to college and so on. If you want to give, go ahead. Anyways, we got the offering back that night, and guess how much the total was? 120? $127. But you get the idea. That's right. $127. The point very simply is this. There have been a lot of stories like that over the years in my life, and I'm sure many of you have stories like that as well. But it was at a very young age that God showed me that he is faithful. God showed me that he can, I can trust him in the middle of difficult times. I can trust him in times when I feel discouraged or confused, when it seems like I have plans and all of a sudden I get thrown a curveball and I'm not sure why and what this means and, and the discouragement and the frustration comes. The Lord says, I can trust him. And I just want to encourage us this morning, if you find yourself in the middle of one of those seasons where everything seems to be twisting and it's not what you had planned, you didn't see these things coming, I want you to notice what Mary does next. It's not a superstitious thing. It flows out of her heart, but she speaks a prayer of faith over her situation. She speaks a prayer, a word at a time when everything wasn't calm and bright and filled with joy. Her head had to be spinning. But the, the scripture says in verse 38, she actually just leans into that circumstance and she says, I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. She's saying, Lord, may everything you have said come true. And I want you to remember too, this wasn't just a confusing moment, a difficult moment in Mary's life. When Mary gave herself to God's direction for her life, it was the beginning of a pretty confusing life for some 33 years. I mean, she lived a life that was crazy at times, it was heartbreaking at times, it was wonderful at times, but what always sustained Mary is she always remembered what the Lord had spoken to her. In fact, many times through her life, we have a couple records where Mary saw certain things or heard certain things at different stages of Jesus' life, and it says that she treasured these things in her heart. 
She thought of these things. They became anchors. They became strengths. I really want to encourage you, friends. We've talked about Bible reading. We've talked about journaling. We've talked about all these different things. But I encourage you, in your walk with the Lord, make note of things the Lord shows you. Make note of things that you read in His Word, the things that He speaks to you. Make note of those because if you remember those, there are always things you can turn back to as anchor points in your life. Whatever you're hitting, whatever you're going through, you can go back to that and you can say, that's where God reminded me that he's faithful. That's where I trusted God. That's where God showed up. That's a word that God spoke to me, that God gave to me, and I'm going to stand on that and not just be dictated to by what I'm seeing right now. I want to ask you this morning in closing, how do you respond to uncertainty? How do you respond to fear? How do you respond in those times that we all have, when things aren't going the way that you plan them to go? Do you blame God? Do you shake a fist at God? Do you kind of turn from God and take matters into your own hands? What do you do? If we really believe that God knows who we are, that God knows what he is doing, Mary said, I'm the Lord's servant. May everything you have said come true. And friends, the best advice I can give you this morning is to learn to speak the promises of God over your life. Learn to speak what God has said, the truth of what God has said to you, what he's declared to you. Speak that over your situation. We're not talking just positive mental attitudes. We're not talking about just a mind game, though being positive is a wonderful thing. We're talking about recognizing that what may be before us, what I'm going through is true, but it's not the final word. Yes, it's true, but the truth is. The truth is. So it's not about ignoring anything I see. If I'm sick, I'm sick. Please do do the gospel of service. If you're sick, don't tell somebody, I'm not sick. (coughs) Yes, you are. You're sick, but God can heal. You're sick, but the Lord is with you. The Lord is your strength. The Lord can comfort you. The Lord can bring you through. The Lord can use that. So we don't have to play these mind games, but we do have to ask ourselves, what has the Lord spoken to me? And to have that, we have to have some history, which means we have to take some time with the Lord. We have to take some time in his word. We should take some time. And I'm not a journaler by nature, but I've forced myself, and now it's more of a natural habit, to jot down just little nuggets once in a while of what the Lord is saying to you that you can come back to because we so quickly forget the mountaintop experiences, amen? When we start getting into the valley, we forget what the Lord did, what the Lord said, what that felt like that day, how real he was. And it's amazing if you can revisit and reread some of the things the Lord is showing you, there's life in those words and you actually can even begin to relive that experience. I remember that. I remember that. And then the Holy Spirit just begins to overshadow you, and he encourages your heart with hope, and he teaches you. Let me just give you a couple of examples. We did a whole uh, month on talking about our identity in Christ. If you want to go to the website or podcast, you can listen to it uh, for the month of um, November. But let me just give you a couple of things that the Lord says, things the Lord has spoken over you. He says, first of all, that you are a child of God. We can just stop there and say, that's enough. That's enough for me. I'm a child of God. That takes care of everything. He also says you are righteous and holy. So when the enemy comes to you and says, this is happening because of you. This is happening because 
God doesn't care about you. This has happened because you made a mistake. You messed up. You did something wrong. You made right choices. You know what? There can be consequences to our wrong choices. But it doesn't mean that God won't walk with us through the consequences. It doesn't mean that God has rejected us. As I shared a couple of weeks ago, if you're a parent and you have to discipline your child physically, discipline them, you do that in a measured way. In fact, I've always said this, never use a spoon. Never use the belt. Always use your hand. Because you need to feel the sting as you're administering discipline. You need to be able to feel, you need to be able to gauge that, but you also need to feel a bit of that sting as well because we know we don't love disciplining our children, but we love our children. And so if we're disciplining our children, what do you do? You discipline them, but right away you affirm them. Not their actions, but you say, you know daddy loves you, right? So you have the tap, you have the measured discipline, whatever it may be, maybe in your room for an hour, or maybe you lose the keys of the car, whatever the age may be, but then you hug, and you, this doesn't change how I feel about you. You're still my child, I love you. And the Father's heart is the same toward us. He says you are righteous and holy, so if you have messed up, it doesn't change your standing before him. You need to remember that. Not let the enemy beat you down. If you've sinned, confess your sin. He's just to forgive you, and he will cleanse you. Number three, you are God's masterpiece, Paul says in Ephesians. You are Jesus' friend, John tells us. You are the dwelling place of God, Paul says in Corinthians. Philippians, you are a citizen of heaven. One of my favorite, Romans 5, you are greatly loved. You know what all of these scriptures together are saying? You are highly favored of God. That's what they all mean. The angel didn't appear to Mary and go through a whole ream of scriptures, you know. Mary, you're righteous. You're a daughter of God. You know, he says, hey, it's all wrapped up in this. You are just highly favored of God. You're highly favored of God. And friends, you are highly favored of God. Can I just make you real awkward right now? Can you tell the person beside you? And even if it's your spouse, even if it's your spouse, okay? Take a breath and say, you are highly favored of God. You may be really irking me right now, but God loves you. You are highly favored of God. I have a little thing on my desk my sister gave me years ago. It says, God loves us all the same, but I'm his favorite. It's true. He loves us all the same. He just enjoys being around some of us maybe more than others. But you are highly favored of God. Friends, that's what the Lord says about you, and that's the basis of how we need to view our lives. We need to view our circumstances. We need to view whatever our story may be. And it really is the bottom line of our story this morning that we don't understand what God is doing. Remember what God has spoken. Remember what he has spoken. And I'm, I'm sorry for sounding like a broken record, but friends, if you don't read the word of God, you'll never know what he says. If you don't read the word of God, you are just a sitting duck for the devil. Every lie he brings your way, every thought he justifies and makes it sound so rational, you buy it, you swallow it, hook, line, and sinker. Why? Because you don't have any truth in your heart to counter it. It's not because it's true, but you don't know who you are. You don't know who God is. And so you continue just to live in that cycle. But this is just a very short list of the many truths God has spoken over us. But the simple question is this. When those twists and turns come, and they do come, and some of us may be in that season right now. The question is, who will you trust? When decision time comes, who will you follow? Because you see, what we tend to do, 
when everything is flowing smoothly, don't we kind of do this? Oh, God is good. Oh, he's good. God is faithful, right? Everything is going well. Bills are all paid and no sickness and kids are serving the Lord, whatever it may be. God is good. But the moment something difficult comes our way, the moment a twist comes in the plot of our story, what do we want to do? Uh, God, can I just borrow your pen for a second? You take a break. I'm going to write my own story here. Not only how I wish things would have been different, I'm going to write a story about what I need to do to change this. And so we take the pen away. And it's kind of like you have this script of just beautiful, elegant penmanship, you know? And then once in a while you find a page and it's just crayon scratch, you know? And that's where we took the pen away. God, I can do this. And it's just... And we just try to rewrite our own story. What we learn here from Mary is we need to learn to trust in what God has said. We need to learn to respond, Lord, I am your servant. May everything you have said, may everything you are planning, may everything you have in mind, may that come true. Help me, Lord, to lean into you. Help me, Lord, to trust you. I'm going to invite the musicians to come. And as they do, I understand this morning during the Christmas season, as wonderful as it is, it's not always easy for everybody. You know, for a lot of us, it's Jingle Bells, and it's Joy, and it's Elvis. I had to throw that in there. But you know, for a lot of people, it's, it's misery. And it's really depressing. But when you see Christmas through the eyes of this trusting teenage girl who speaks just these words of promise and of faith, at a time when everything just turned upside down and, and she just had to be terrified for a few moments as she thought of these ramifications. But when you see her response, when you see her trust, her submitted heart, and we know how wonderful the story worked out, just like all the others who found favor in the eyes of the Lord, but she still had to pay a great price. But what she did, she really teaches us that we can be hopeful and encouraged as we are waiting for God's promises to be fulfilled. As we close this morning, I want to spend some time praying for those today who may feel they're facing some uncertain things in their lives. And I just, I just simply want to offer you a moment where those who will come in to pray in just a moment can just pray that God would do what only God can do. And you know, a lot of times we don't have the answer right away. We don't leave with an answer necessarily in our mind for whatever we are, but we can experience strength. And we can experience peace. And God can bring, as we open ourselves to Him, people our way that help to carry the burden a little bit. But something I want all of us to do this morning is I want us to be able to pray that simple prayer this Christmas season. Lord, I am Your servant. May everything You've said, everything You spoke in my life years ago, dreams and hopes You've given to me, because the Lord speaks things into our lives. The Lord gives us dreams. He gives us dreams for our families. He gives us dreams for our children. There's nothing more important than our children. He gives us dreams. He gives us hope. Friends, He doesn't do that to frustrate you. He lets you see what He sees. So when things happen that look different than what you expect, you still hold on to what you see. You still hold on to what God has given to you. You still hold on to the promise. 
You keep leaning into that Word. You keep praying into that Word. You keep believing that Word. Because you see, my Bible still says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved in your house. That's still a promise. Please don't feel condemnation this morning, my friends. If you have struggles with your children, what I'm saying to you is that God has given us ministry as parents. He speaks promises to us, and he says, listen, what seems like hell being released, and it may be, I want you to understand, I am with you. I am here. I am working. Keep holding on to me. Keep holding on to me. Don't make decisions rashly. Don't let yourself get burned out. Don't let the enemy beat you up. No, 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 no. You're my child. You're my son. You're my daughter. I have them in the palm of my hand. You just keep drawing close to me. You keep, keep lifting them up in prayer. I'm doing things you don't know. I'm working in their hearts in ways you can't see. Don't take the pen and write your own script and mess things up and try to make things happen. Will you just walk with me? You just keep walking with me. I'm working. I'm working. I'm not just a God on Sunday. Amen? I'm God. I'm God. I love what Pastor Theo would always say. God is God. Well, Theo, what do you think about that? God is God. That sounds so simplistic, but it's so powerful. God is God. God is God. And he's not just God. He's a God who loves me. He's a God who says, I'm his child. He's a God who says, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. He's a God who says, I have inscribed you on the palm of my hand. You are always before me. And he says so many other things. I'm going to ask if we just stand as we prepare to slip out. And as we do this morning, if you're here and you just like to receive prayer, it could be nothing related to the message this morning, or it could be. I want to invite you to come as Pastor Christian and the worship team sings. We just want to provide ministry for you. The laying on of hands, the agreeing together in prayer. We want to stand with you. Would you just bow your head with me just for a moment? Let's just bow our heads and close our eyes. If you're here this morning and you can relate and say, Paul, I know what you're talking about with these twists and turns and where I stand right now, this is not what I planned. It's not what I had hoped. It's not what I dreamed. Friends, this in no way means you're a failure. It's not about that. We all get hit. We all get blindsided. Stuff happens that we never dreamed, we never planned on. I'm going to ask that everybody would close their eyes and everybody would bow their heads. And my eyes are closed too. And I'm going to keep them closed. And I'm going to bow my head because I want this just to be between you and God. You and the Holy Spirit. You and Jesus. But just by an expression of a lifted hand toward the Lord, say, Lord, I'm just lifting my hands because I know you know where I am. But I'm just saying, Lord, I'm just making myself available to you this morning. I'm just opening up and saying, Lord, I'm just being real. This is what I feel. This is what I feel. And Lord, I just need you afresh this morning. I just need more grace. Or maybe I just need to get back on track a little bit. Maybe, Lord, by the raised hand, I'm saying, Lord, here's the pen back. Lord, will you please just keep writing this story? I don't want to take it out of your hands. I just can't do it. I don't see all the nuances. I can't make it happen. Nobody's looking at you. I'm not looking at you. I just believe this is significant. Would you just lift your hand and give the pen back to the Lord and say, Lord, I trust you. I know you're here. I know you're working. I just want to say, Lord, would you just give me grace for another week, maybe another day, maybe just another hour. Lord, I just, I just need a fresh to surrender to you and trust you again. Heavenly Father, I pray this morning, you've seen every hand, every heart. 
I do pray by Your Holy Spirit for just a fresh breath of hope and encouragement in every heart, Lord, that is facing things that only You truly understand. I thank You that we are greatly loved, dearly loved by You. And I pray, O Lord, for grace to be able to truly release in our heart the words, Lord, I am Your servant. Whatever You've planned, Lord, let it come to pass because I know however upside down things may be, Lord, you do all things well. You have a glorious finish. Your plan always works out. I just pray for grace to cooperate with you. And if you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus, he wants you to know him this morning. And all you do is you just open your heart and say, Jesus, forgive me for living life my own way. You have a plan for me. You died for me. That's why you came to this world. You died to take my sins upon yourself so I can be forgiven. If you were here this morning, you'd say, I just want to open my heart to Jesus, not religion. I just, I just need to know God. I want to know Him. I want to invite you to come. We had a dear lady last week. I don't think she's here this morning, but she, she gave her heart to the Lord, and she said to the altar worker, she said, I just woke up this morning, and I just thought, I'm going to find a church where I can get saved. Not even from here, just woke up. I got to get saved today. Came here, gave her heart to the Lord. That could just be you. You just happened here. The Lord knows, and he wants you to encounter him in a wonderful way. So as Pastor Kristen sings this song, you're dismissed. The Lord bless you to slip out. Give someone a hug.